Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you... Stu and Blake. Hello and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. I'm Blake Harrison. I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. How you all doing? Good. How are you, Blake? That was really good. I, I didn't get any answers in my headphones. I'm amazed that they all just they all just shouted, Good! <laughs> you, I just got a big roar of yeah, like, no, yeah, appreciation, yeah. Oh, that's annoying. Mine's my Bluetooth clearly isn't connected very well. Um Yeah, no, I'm I'm good, mate. I'm really looking forward to our guest today. It's gonna be such a unique insight into MMA. Uh because this person is not and has never been a fighter, have they, Stu? No. They are the voice of the octagon, in a sense. They're not like Bruce Buffer or anything. When I say voice of the octagon, that's more his thing, isn't it? <laughs> He's the voice of what's going on in the octagon from outside mm. of the octagon. Mm. It's uh, John Gooden, UFC uh, commentator John Gooden. Oh, and this is a lazy gag, but this is a Gooden as well, isn't it? Oh no! You've done a me. You've done a me. You bet. Is that why we've got him on the show so you can do that shit gag? I've literally got a note to get that in there as well. Oh god! You wrote a note for that joke. <laughs> At least my like Pliev's finger one was like, oh, it came to me as I was in the middle of it. That'd be a laugh. You've made a note of that joke. You should be deeply, deeply ashamed of yourself. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not sorry. Um, it was. It was a really great chat, and uh, and and you were in for a treat. And uh, and and also, um, what we should say: if this is your first time listening uh, to the MMA Fan Podcast, when you finish this chat today um, that Blake and I have with John, go and have a look in in the archives of this. So, I mean, we're still a relatively new podcast, but. We've been blessed to have chats. I'm going to try not to forget anyone, Blake, so if I do, chip in. So we've had Arnold Allen, Paddy Pimlet, yeah. Molly, Molly McCann, McCann, Nathaniel Wood. Yes. And then we've had uh, some nice fight or flights with Thomas Turgoose. We had Brad Pickett on alongside uh, Laura Checkley doing a fight or flight. And we had our first ever episode was, uh, was Scroobius Pip uh, with my old in-betweeners buddy, Emily Head. So there's there's plenty of you to to plenty to for you to check out there. And uh, also w- upcoming, we'll be having uh, some breakdowns of a few fights. The big one that 
I think everyone is looking forward to in the distance is uh, UFC 261, yeah, Usman Lars Vidal 2, but that's also got uh, Andrade versus uh, Valentina Shevchenko and um, Zhang Wei Li versus Rose Namajunas, which is going to be my fight of the night, I think. I'm yeah, very man. much looking forward to that. So we'll be talking about that in future episodes coming up. We will do a, a preview show to that, and we'll also do a post-show for that massive card coming up. But for now, let's join John Gooden, shall we? Yes, please enjoy this episode. It is a Gooden. John, how are you going? Oh, we can't. See, you can tell we're <laughs> oh, we professional. We can't do that. Yes, we, we can't do uh, that. Look, look, we're with a professional commentator, presenter, and everything, and we come in like the novices we are, speaking over each other. Perfect. Came in hot. You're clearly so excited to speak to me. But I, I mean, I take it as a massive compliment. Well, that's, it's true. We are excited to speak to you. Massively excited. Um, yeah, I, John. John, I think first things first, I really want to just get out there that the keeping the lights on on fundraiser that you're doing. I want you to tell us all about that and, and, and where that came from and, and, and how people can get involved in it. Oh, lovely. Well, first of all, thank you very much for giving me the stage to do that. Um, so, yeah, it's a UK MMA fundraiser. The gyms generally are probably the worst hit in this pandemic. And then when you get through to like martial arts and mixed martial arts, which is obviously my world where you're breathing in very close quarters to one another, sweating into each other's mouths, etc. It's not, it's not an ideal environment for COVID. So I understand the restrictions that have been put upon us all, but as a result of that, and, and the result of where the sport is at with regards, how the government supports mixed martial arts, which it really doesn't, there's just not the kind of infrastructure and the funding around it to help one another out. So we have to sort of look to the community to do that, I feel. And with my travels and my own experiences with, with my own sort of home team, if you like, I know that coaches are struggling because people can't pay their subscriptions, etc. And these are these are like churches for people. The mat space is a place where, you know, people like me who have no sort of professional aspirations that's where we get our physical and mental stuff in check. 100%. So without that, people suffer. So it's important to me that the the industry still manages to thrive coming out of this. So I thought, what can I do? I'm not, sadly, not a multimillionaire yet. That may that may still happen. Um, but but yeah, what I have is a contacts list. So I've been I've been hitting up a bunch of people within this the space to see if they can spread the good word donate some stuff that I can auction off. And, and that's basically what's happening. So the three main things are I need to know the gyms that need a bit of help because that's who I'm doing it for. But I am struggling to find that out. I understand it's sort of an uncomfortable process to put your arm in the air and say, yeah, you know, business isn't booming and, it, and it, it'd be great to be part of this. So that's one thing. Then anyone that's got anything that's of any value to, to auction off on eBay, which I'll be doing through May, that'd be great. And then all of the funds raised will go into a big pot and the public will vote on who gets that money. So there'll be a little kind of 
shortlist of gyms and a and maybe a, a little bump to say why they feel like they could do with a bit of a cash injection. And then in June 1st, it all ends and the money goes through to one, two, three gyms, depending on how much we raise. Oh, that's fantastic, that's man. What a great cause. And so these gyms, you want them to try and get in touch with you. Let I do. Yeah. And then hopefully they'll be in the in the pot to win the pot, as it were. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I can't just no, I can't nominate gyms. Yes. And I need to know, you know, you know, my reach is is okay, but I need to know on the ground, people on the ground to tell me who you know, they can just nominate their gym. You know, yeah. I've been talked with a with a, a very exciting manufacturer of stuff, I shall say. I hope it comes through because they, they've uh, said that they're going to donate a lot to this cause, which means I might not, it, it won't be like a cash donation, but people might be able to get some stuff and they want to help a number of gyms as well. So I'm trying to find it. This is evolving and, and the more people that come forward, I can probably help out in different ways as well. So it's called keepingthelightson.net and all the details are in now. I've tried to make it pretty straightforward. And yeah, I'm excited to to be able to do something positive. That's fantastic, man. Well done. And uh, so you've mentioned that you you yourself go to a gym. Did you how did you start off your kind of like passion for martial arts? Like how long have you been training for and how how did you get into martial arts? I've been training since I was seven. I think my first, yeah, first uh, martial art was judo. So I did that as a kid whilst like friends were going to football camps. I'd be at judo camp. So I competed nationally uh, in judo for a little while. So I enjoyed that. But then karate kid and a few other things like that took a hold of me. And I ended up going over to karate. My uncle took me. I went with him. I'm very close to my uncle. He's still actually practices I think it's like a fourth down in Shotokan karate wow and he's a hater on mixed martial arts as well so we oh, have some, really yeah yeah we have some spirited conversations he thinks it's just fat sweaty blokes with no technique and I'm like have you showed him like Wonder Boy and Machida and all him. these karate style guys <clears throat> I've showed him everything he, he thinks it's fake I'm like come what? on <laughs> like, really like that some of these guys in traditional martial arts are just, it's so they're so narrow-minded it, it's kind of funny really but whatever right like if he's not into it he's not into it it's not for everyone so anyway I did it with him through my early teenage years and again did some did some competitive stuff but nothing serious but as I sort of mentioned none of my friends really did this so it was always a kind of solo efforts mm. which is fine but I guess I've you know, I, I, I kind of wanted to be with, with all the other guys, part of the cool kids. And uh, I mean, I've never got there. Um, Neither trying. have I, mate. Neither have I. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I've, I've just accepted it now. It's way easier. So I would then go backwards and forwards into football, which is obviously, you know, our national sport. And, and I played football loads, uh, rugby at school and stuff. So I've always been really active. But then boxing was a massive part of my household. My dad was a big boxing fan, like Barry McGuigan. And then as I grew up, it was like the the Chris Eubank uh, era, Frank Bruno, Lennox Lewis. So I watched a lot of boxing and I ended up getting into boxing. Our neighbour actually fought for the UK um, or Great Britain, whatever the iteration was back because he was a lot older. And I remember um, sparring him in his in his lounge, and he was a heavyweight, and he was a lot older. Bless him. He just let me hit him, but I, I got the taste for it there, and ended up doing some some novice ABA stuff whilst I was at uni, and and I really enjoyed it. 
And I enjoyed the fact that you'd get a bit of recognition on the streets as well, you know. People would maybe not, they'd think twice about messing with you and you just had a little reputation that came with fighting, which as someone that got bullied when they were younger, it really did change things. That's a pretty decent thing to tell the chicks as well. So, um, <laughs> just, these... just on that, John, yeah. can I just ask you about the, 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 the transition from judo to karate to then boxing? And did you find them transitions more, I guess, from karate to boxing? Um, did you find them quite an, an easy thing to do insofar as the, the, the footwork and, and how, you know, how, how they're so different? I mean, from someone that's sort of dabbled with Muay Thai and then uh, boxed as well, I, I, I can't get my feet. You know, I just keep going back to a, a sort of Thai stance. Right. And, and, and so did you find that transition, like, through the different sort of arts, like, quite quite simple well actually i'll talk about you're right and i've experienced that later on funnily enough uh trying to merge the boxing and muay thai um going from boxing to mixed martial arts which is slightly separate but for what you're talking about not really i think i was so young and i was maybe doing it for different reasons as well you know I, judo there was no you know face punching and then you move on to karate where you can now strike but then boxing but, 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 you know, you're not knocking people out in Kumite. Well, some people do, but it, it wasn't like Kokushinkai where, sure. it, where it's really strong stuff. So it's just it's just touch. But boxing's different, right? You know, you're getting bloodied up and gym wars and everything else. It felt a lot more real. You know, you're in a real fight. And I was going after that, I think. Everything else just seemed to be, you know, a little bit diluted. And And I didn't see mixed martial arts at that time. You know, I didn't see where it could lead to. And, it, and that street cred, I think, was something that I was looking for in my earlier years as well. So, as I say, when you've been on the receiving end of, you know, uh, physical and mental bullying for a little while, then going to karate never really didn't sort of work for me. So boxing kind of did. But in terms of the technical nature, I think maybe I'd, I knew how to punch but boxing's different again. You know, you, you have a very upright stance. Karate's very loose and your hands are much lower down. But I took to boxing pretty well. You see boxing on TV. You don't necessarily see competitive karate on TV. So you'd probably have to be taught that. Whereas boxing looks like it's a bit more natural. Even a, even someone in the street will try and bring their hands up. Or probably drop them when they're looking to throw them. But they know the stance. So that wasn't so much of a challenge. But going into Muay Thai to turn my hip in from where it was, my leg got destroyed, <laughs> yeah. got destroyed. Uh, for a long time. But I think the Muay Thai gyms, because we were amateur, like they saw the value in having me spar some of their boys because I had decent hands. But they just chopped my leg away and I'd be on my ass regularly. So it took me a long time to put to square my stance up. But then I would go and get some boxing training for mixed martial arts. And they would try and change me. I'm like, please don't try and change me. It's taken me so long to do this. Yeah. yeah. And then you evolve into MMA where it's different again, where you have to maybe drop your stance a little bit, depending on what you're facing. But that's the, the beauty of what we do is, yeah. is that challenge. And if the more technical you make something for me, the more I engage with it, because I know that it's just not easy to come by and you've really got to work yeah. at that. You, you spoke a little bit about bullying and stuff. I wanted to know where were you someone that 
struggled with confrontation at an early age and that led you to combat sports or were you someone that was okay with with confrontation and it was like a natural thing for you to go into combat sports what what, what kind of led to the other if, if that makes sense I think I, I think I was just trying to find my way as a kid and um you know I, I don't think I probably handled certain situations very well I think I was quite boastful I remember very much like because of our background and where we had come from like my dad was a tradesman but we moved into an area where it was very middle class and people looked down on you a lot. So there was a lot of competition. And I, I sort of, my mum, I think, gave that to me because she came from very humble beginnings. So you sort of, cut, you, you're very defensive all the time. And then you it comes across wrong. So there's that balance between being boastful and arrogant. And you end up taking a licking for it, you know, and that's yeah. that's kind of what, what would come about. But yeah, I, I didn't want to get into confrontations with people still don't you know so so no it wasn't something that came natural to me but I've ever since been a bit of a hothead uh, a temper is always there and and I continue to go to martial arts practice because it helps keep my ego in check but it also helps with my self-confidence as well absolutely so how did you sort of transition from being the guy in the ring uh, to them being the guy outside the ring? Yeah, well, it was a long process. So as, as I say, I was doing boxing when I was at uni and after university, like I did a, a graduate scheme in the city where I was I was in recruitment consultancy, so, but I wanted to work with the banks, but I was in the financial markets, if you like. So while I was doing that, none of this stuff was really something that I was looking to continue to do. I, I kept popping back every now and then, but... It was football and business, like career. Very, very, I've always been super ambitious, wanted to achieve certain heights. Um, But whilst I was in the city, I then got quite confident with uh, communication and and I wanted to be a TV presenter. So I actually kicked that city career into touch and went to work for free. Uh, Funnily enough, my first gig was at the Kilroy show, if you guys remember that. (laughs) So, yeah, I, I worked there for a little bit and... It was good. It was fun. And then I went to Watchdog. And again, like working for like 14 grand a year after earning like 35 grand a year in the city, which was good, you know, for a, yeah. a guy in his early 20s quite a few years ago now. Um, but I was always wrestling with that. My God, I had a, I, I like to earn money and set myself up and and have, a, have nice things, if you like. But I also I also want this this little dream of mine right now, and, and it wasn't happening fast enough for me. I'm super impatient, and and to be honest, I wasn't good enough back then either. So with that, I sort of kicked that dream into touch. But funny enough, it's obviously come back around. And when I started really getting involved in mixed martial arts, which was in my late twenties, it was a sport that needed help in all which ways, and the way that it was being presented or represented in front of a camera behind a microphone I just didn't see it that that it was the most appropriate way or the best way to be embraced by a more mainstream audience so when my coach put on his own show typically I would be like cornering or uh, like holding pads in the back someone did a terrible job for like a, a digital network before and they kind of made a bit of a mockery out of out of the show and the sport so I said let me do that he said well I, I I can't I don't have any hold over that but why not do some commentary and and it, I just said yes and it was just me with a little dictaphone by myself 
with a microphone, headphones on, and like a 35 fight card for amateurs or something at the Watford Coliseum, uh, you know, within five years turned into a call from the UFC. Was it five, six years, something like that? But a few steps in between, but essentially that's how it how it came about so so you're at like a, a you say like your coach's organization i'm assuming a very small you probably on online you could maybe see it online or something like that no you couldn't no. even see it online it was just for the for the fans that were there you were commentating for yeah and then we would record it like a couple of camcorders over the over the cage and then we would just merge my my words god forbid like i hate to think what it sounds like now um we put those together and then he would give those like DVDs to the fighters or maybe sell them to their family and friends. It was just, I guess at the time, it was just something additional that he could offer. And as a coach, he's, he knows that it's important to assess your own work. So if you're filming your sparring sessions or your fight, you can go back and take a look and see what you did right or wrong. But it also makes it more entertaining, hopefully, if you have a little colour to it with some words. So that was really the idea. But like with anything that I've ever done, I do tend to sort of go in feet first. So I really kind of took it by the scruff of the neck and thought, right, well, if we're going to do this, I'd have a look at a fight card, see three or four fighters from the same gym. I'd drive down to that gym. I'd take my kit. I'd train with those guys that were, tr- with the, that were going to be fighting because we're talking amateur level here. So it's not like a UFC fighter at this stage. So I would be of a, a similar kind of level, if you like. So we're, I'd jump in on a session, but then you, you really do have this wonderful like, brotherhood with martial arts where after it's done and you've punched each other in the face, you can sit down, you talk about what's just gone on. And then you just, you end up because the chemicals are flowing in the body, you just talk. And I was there to try and get the stories out of these guys as well. So I'm learning quite intimate detail about these fighters that I would then be talking about in a few weeks time. And that was just so valuable, but what I didn't realize, and it wasn't by design necessarily, no one else was really doing that process who was doing commentary at the time. And I was starting to get noticed by obviously the effort that I was willing to go to for, as you say, like a show, which wasn't even being broadcast anywhere. And I had a full-time job at this point, I was an electrician uh, running the family business with my dad. So seven days a week um, full on. So this was really a a big passion of mine and I very much enjoyed it, but I think that set me apart from, some of the others that were trying to do similar things. And what that, that, so within that five years, where, where else did you, did you go before it gets to the UFC? Like, was, was there a kind of an evolution of like, Oh, I'm going here. Now I'm going to that bigger organization and that bigger organization. There weren't that many, like bit like the talent pool for commentators was very shallow, which is how I, I've been able to kind of rise up because <laughs> the competition <laughs> is just not around. So I was very lucky going down to a gym in Islington, actually, um, the MMA clinic, which is owned by Graham Boylan. Graham Boylan also is the guy that runs Cage Warriors. Uh, at the time, he didn't. At the time, he was just putting on a show for his own club and he asked me if I was freelancer and i'd be willing to help him out and i was like of course yeah wow this is like a second gig not just my coach's show and then like i'll always be indebted to graham because when he was given the task of managing cage warriors which at the time 
was probably the strongest brand in UK MMA, if not the second to Cage at Cage Rage, which Anderson Silva fought on and a lot of big stars. So he inherited this wonderful organization and he brought me along. That he could have chosen anyone who had a voice in UK mixed martial arts at the time. They would have taken that job in a heartbeat. But he stuck with me and I'm and I'm I'm so grateful for that. So it gave me reps on yes now something that was broadcast that was streamed and there were some television deals that were coming in here and now i think we, we were on sky sports uh, eventually so that was wonderful stuff and i got to also travel which is important as well so i'm doing four days in dubai calling fights for cage warriors we went to chechnya beirut um oh you went some crazy places ukraine into Europe, Jordan. I went to Jordan like many times, five times maybe. So traveling, preparing, understanding that process. It was all a really, really good uh, setup for the UFC, albeit like there was never any real preparation for what I, was, what I was about to experience in terms of the production when we went over to the UFC. But it was pretty much as big as it could have gotten because there's just not that many layers and levels in between. So when did the call come from the UFC? And, and you know, tell us about that day. It was a wonderful day. I would, <laughs> I, I felt, oh, it was. It, no, seriously, it changed my life. It, like, it, it, I get quite emotional even thinking about it now. I'll start with the actual call because it's kind of a funny story. So imagine me, little John Gooden, the electrician, in his, like, combat trousers, his BJ Gooden electrical polo shirt on, and I'm round at Mrs. Patel's conservatory where I'm I'm there assessing some water damage on behalf of Anglian Windows, who we were doing the work for, seeing if it was affecting the electrics. And I had done a screen test recently to see whether I was, you know, going to get the job. The phone rings, Mrs. Patel's there trying to like tell me about what's gone on. And I'm, I literally gave her the hand. <laughs> I literally, but I, I, I'm, and I'm not normally like that. I normally have, uh, I'm well-mannered, but this call was so important. I took this call and, and it was a woman called Amanda who was with the UFC. Cut a long story short. She says, you're our guy. We, we want you to, uh, we want you to call fights for the UFC. So this is, and they all knew how much it meant to me because it was a, it was over a few months that this was happening. So I did what I had to do in uh, in Mrs. Patel's conservatory and I got in the van and I just remember like beating the steering wheel, <laughs> laughing and crying, just going, I've done it, I've done it, I can't believe I've done it. And I was in I was in the running with, uh, it's probably unfair for me to say his name, but there was a really well-known breakfast radio DJ at the time who had a huge following and audience. Like he at the time he had that breakfast show and I beat him to the job. And uh, I just couldn't believe that, that that had happened. So, yeah, I knew from that point that my life was about to change. And and I was so I was getting really despondent with with the work as an electrician. I was fighting with my dad a lot. I, I just wanted a bit more for myself. Yeah, it, it was a, it's a tough gig being a tradesman. And because of all the other stuff I've done and. Yeah, it just wasn't for me anymore. But I was, you know, into my 30s at this point. So, there's, you know, you can't keep chopping and changing. I had a mortgage, a wife, yeah. aspirations to have a family. So this was it. And, uh, yeah, it, it genuinely has changed my my life beyond recognition. I'm amazed you finished the job at Mrs. Patel's house. I thought you would have just gone like, laters, <laughs> I don't care. Well, 
but that's the thing. It's, it's the family name, though. And I, and I actually still help my dad in, in different ways. I don't so much get the tools out anymore, but I was the technical guy, and there's a lot of testing and stuff. This is the boring side of our conversation, but my dad's all in on his business. He's so He's such a workhorse. Uh, despite his years, I don't think he'll ever retire, but I always, I'm always there to support him and I understand what he's going through. So I'm, I'm still kind of involved in the family business as maybe as some sort of a counselor, if you like. Yeah. Do you ever wind him up by maybe like commentating on how he's repairing a fuse box or anything? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd get the hairy side if I did that because, uh, He's the sort of guy that wouldn't take too kindly to that. No, my, my I have to say, like my dad's never really been into MMA, and 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 I, he's so into his work. He really is. He's very single-minded with that. But he said one thing to me that is uh, is a bit of an old school guy. So this this really did kind of melt me. And he, he said, "I'm very proud of you, son, because you you did this all by yourself." And I think he's he's a bit of an oak tree for the family and like him giving me a job in the family business, people can look and say, I got a leg up, mm-hmm. you know, it was easy. I didn't even have to go through an interview process. So a lot of people get, get gifted some things, but I'd never really considered that, but I'd been given opportunities, but really I had created my own path and, and I forget that sometimes and I should sort of pat myself on the back because it has been a bit of a journey I have had to get punched in the face along the way to, to get there. As well. but, but I think it's an important lesson to learn and some advice I give to others, you know, that it's, it makes you feel even better yeah. when you've been able to, to do it. There's nothing wrong with being gifted something and, and being given the leg up or whatever. But when you've achieved something by yourself and like created your own path, it does become a little bit more special. And so when you got the call, obviously electricians that goes out the window it didn't it's ufc didn't go that's my future that's the thing no that that's what i thought you know at the time but they as much as the ufc was expanding like they didn't have a monthly show in europe that i could what, what, when was this john like what was the year that this happened in 2014 right so i think i may have had five shows in 20 was it three or five like not a lot and and like we're not talking kind of Joe Rogan money here either so all I ever wanted to do was supplement the income that I had as an electrician being a broadcaster that simply quite simply that's all I wanted I just wanted a different lifestyle for myself and that that would have sufficed but but we weren't quite there yet like Dan and I started our inside the octagon show and an analysis show which is still going which I'm very proud of um but again that was like once a month as well so it now became a business, which was a different thing for me. I'd never worked for myself. I'm now an independent contractor. So, yeah, it, it was difficult to try and make it work. So I was having to do dual roles. And the, the biggest downer for me, which was after my very first gig, which was the O2 uh, in London. I'd never been to the O2 before. What, a, what an enormous place that is when you've never yeah. been before. And I know that I'm not the man in the middle, but I'm very close. And for me, it was, it was my champions league final. Like it, this is my, I needed to put on a good, a good show. I didn't really know what I was getting involved in, but I remember all sorts of weird things happening. And Blake, I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to talk about these sorts of things as well. But I remember like driving up to the O2 and then just thinking about all these celebrities and why they always wore like glasses 
And I think it's because it's like blinkers. Because as, as we were going to the O2, you, I just saw thousands of UFC fans going towards the building. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm sort of part of this. And, and, and they're going to hear what I've got to say. And I know that I'm a very small part of it. But, but I'm, unfortunately, the framing that I took on at the time made me feel like it was all about me. And, and, and I was like, Jesus, this is I just wanted to sort of curl up and you know, have some sort of layer of protection. And then when we got into the actual arena itself, I looked up and I felt like I was sort of corkscrewing into the floor as I just saw this enormous space. But um, fortunately, when when the cameras started rolling and the microphones were live, there's no time to think about those sorts of things. And, and it was a wonderful experience. But I was so high after that that it's... Being at a UFC event is such a celebratory moment. There are no boos. It's just like cheering, 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 big oohs and ahs, and then massive celebrations. And you're obviously trying to lend some soundtrack to that as well. So you've got to embody it. So you're wired after a show. And then I went to a site on Monday morning with all the pastors and builders. (laughs) I rolled up in the van and I didn't sleep on like Saturday night, Sunday. And I just went crashing down and i'm like this is bullshit (laughs) and you know no one there knew what i'd just done and i all i wanted to do was talk about that really not you know where these double sockets were going and how lights how many lights we were putting in the ceiling but but i had to sort of straddle that both worlds for a good two or three years before the the money then able to well i think i took a little pay cut pay cut at first but it was worth doing so that yeah. i could then fully immerse myself in that broadcast life yeah I, so it's, what was the event that was uh, oh, oh yeah that was gustaf gustafson manua i was at, oh, i was at that one yeah i was at that night because the swedes were so loud they were yeah. as loud as all the other you know, yeah. the UK fans that were there obviously cheering on Jimmy, but I just remember them being so good. It was a, it was a great night. Yeah. yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember it being Absolutely. a good night. I remember uh, there's like a Witherspoons or something in the O2 or like a slug yeah, and lettuce yeah, yeah. or one of those type of... And I think yeah. I remember me and my brother and my brother-in-law kind of walking past there after it and just kind of being a bit like, like just a bit despondent because we were like, oh, our guy lost. And we're yeah. like, we're not, we're not, we're not really up for the having a big drink afterwards as as much as we would have been if it, if Manor had won. We'd have been like, get on it, yes! It's amazing how. <laughs> this is one thing um, we wanted to talk to you about was because it's amazing how certain fighters and I, I definitely have a kind of national pride bias in me that okay. you know it it, it it doesn't matter kind of who it is if 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 they're English or even British. I'm going, go on, Jojo, go on, you know, like Leon, whoever it is, I, I want them to win. And uh, when they don't, you, you, you feel it as a fan, you, you feel it. And, and even, even though he's Irish, particularly on his rise, Conor McGregor, for me, he was walking down to that fight against Chad Mendes, looking pretty awful. Like, I, I think he, like, he looked very, very gaunt and pale, particularly in that fight. I think it was the first one after Reebok came in and maybe there was something about the IVs, I don't know. I concocted this whole thing in my head of going like, oh my God, he's not rehydrated properly. Oh, Connor, <laughs> I hope you're going to be okay, mate. You know, I yeah. sat on my sofa like, what's it? And, and you just get nervous for them. And uh, do, do you have any, um, or can you allow yourself any sense of, oh, I've, I've, I've worked with, I've rolled with this guy or I've, you know, I, I know this person, I've interviewed them, I really like them. How, how do you then go... Oh, I've got to switch that off and just call this fight down the middle and not be excited by uh, what what's going on. Because Stu, didn't you have a, a thing where you were talking about a, yeah, a Frank Bruno com- the commentary doing Frank Bruno fight? It was the iconic Carpenter thing when when Bruno hit Tyson at yeah. ninety seconds and rocked him. The kind of impartial thing went out the window, and Harry Carpenter was literally screamed, "Get in there, Frank!" Yeah. <laughs> it was just, yeah. like, and I just wondered, like, you know, is that something that you know, if it's one, like, as Blake said, someone you've rolled with or, or sparred yeah. with? Well, I think the, the difference there is <clears throat> Harry and Bruno. What a wonderful relationship they had. You're an independent. Harry was broadcasting for an independent network for British ears, largely, right? But the, I'm working for the UFC, who mm. are an international organisation, but based in North America, so I can't champion those individuals. But but I wouldn't say, like, Blake, you were saying about silencing certain emotions. I think it's important to embrace those emotions. Yeah. I, I think when you get to know someone a little bit more closely that allows you to tell the story. I, I call myself a storyteller. So I, I'm also the, the mouthpiece for these individuals. So the, the closer I know them, the more I can give you about their, their character, what might be going on in their lives at that point, so that you can attach to certain elements of them and become a fan or, or not. So I think it's important to do that, but I'm, I'm very much in the business of, of cheerleading everyone and I think I've also gotten that because mixed martial arts as a sport has been you know kicked and punched by the media for so very long so for me they're all heroes I just happen to know some of them a bit better than others and of course you know when 
I've grown up in the scene as well. So I've seen some of these guys coming up. Like I was commentating on Connor's fights back in 2010. I was there when him and Joe Duffy fought. Um, and then Joe and I became quite close. And then I, I've been, like, I, I saw Connor recently and we were talking old times, which was very cool for me. I I didn't know whether my credit had run out with uh, Mr. McGregor, but <laughs> on Fight Island, he came over to me and we, we were still having a conversation di- despite you know, five or six security guys frowning at me with a hand on something that they had in their back pocket. I don't know what it was. <laughs> uh, but no, it was good to know that he still recognises uh, my face. But you have to, you always have to celebrate. And and I have had some moments, I, I won't lie, seeing Darren Till get knocked out by Masvidal when I knew that Darren's girlfriend and mum, who I'd met off camera because I do a lot of producing work for the UFC. I've been in Darren's house with his with his girlfriend. They're like head in their hand. Darren's out bad. And I'm screaming and shouting like how wonderful this moment is for Masvidal. But that's my job. And, and hopefully they understand that. But the power I have to use for that, they definitely heard it. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, within another couple of months, I might be in their front room again saying, hey, Darren, how are you? So it's a bit weird. And again, Jimmy Manua, when he got knocked out by Alexander Rakic, one of the worst moments, one of the best and worst moments in my, from a broadcasting sense, Alexander put together this like incredible head kick. The noise of it connecting and the noise of Jimmy hitting the canvas will will never leave me. But then Jimmy just laying out there, I, 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 I thought the worst for a couple of moments there. And I could see he got his daughters there in the audience and you can't help but be compassionate mm. about those elements. But we're also there as fight fans to celebrate those, those things as well. So you have to just be a pro, but those, those things are swirling around. You just then have to pay them off when Jimmy comes back around and sits up. That's something that we all kind of are happy to see and applaud. And you can communicate that to Jimmy's fans. So you have to balance that. And I always try and and leave a nugget of they'll have something to work on to be better next time, something to that effect. John, you, you, you touched on something that you said, obviously, like, you know, sitting close to families, they can hear you. Um, we've, we've recently spoke to um, Paddy Pimlet and uh, uh, Nathaniel Wood about um, fighting in empty arenas uh, and can they hear, you know, the commentators. Mm. And, and Nathaniel was like, yeah, he said sometimes, you know, he can hear someone go, oh, that was a great shot. And he's like, yes, he's, you know, he feels like he's doing something right. Are you aware the fighters can hear you? Yes, I am now because something happened early on with this whole setup. I was very curious to see how it would work. I think, was it Jacksonville? One of the first shows that they had with no fans because I, I was actually the first or, or, or event. UFC London was, I think, the first victim uh, from the UFC's perspective of the pandemic, we got cancelled on the Monday of fight week, yeah. maybe the Sunday. So I, I was very keen to see how it would all play out. And I remember someone commenting that DC's words had a positive impact on their strategy mid-fight. And there were some people saying that's not fair, but then, you know, it's kind of, it's like a third or fourth cornerman, right? Um, so I did, there was a moment and it didn't go down too well with my bosses but when Darren was fighting Robert Whittaker Darren goes back to his corner and says to Colin Heron my knee's 
Can we swear? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my knee's fucked. So I then thought that was important for the fans to know that. But I also knew that Whitaker's corner was closer to me than Darren's. And they probably didn't know that. I they may have someone on a, like on the phone who could tell them that information, but I didn't want to be the guy directly giving them that information in case then they started targeting the legs. So I whispered it because I was aware that DC had said something before and, and the fighters could hear this. And we've got cans on as well. So we've got headphones, which also give you a full sense. Like anyone knows, you put headphones in when you're listening to music, you're, you're shouting from the rooftops. So I was very, I was maybe overly careful. Um, some people thought it was smart and I appreciated it. Some people thought it was silly, but I, I, it was the right thing for me to do in that moment. So that, I guess, is an example of my awareness of the environment. And so one of the other things, now you've reached this kind of point in your career, you're, you're surrounded by, you know, and I use the word heavyweights in, in, in a more general term, of, 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 of the industry. And, you know, as a working class lad, do you ever suffer, we've asked all the fighters this as well, do you ever suffer from like imposter syndrome? Yes, all the time. And but I never want to suffer from complacency, and and I think you can you can get settled. And we were talking uh, before we press record earlier about just pivoting and doing different things, and keep learning and reskilling and things of that nature. The little the man them the kids that are coming up they have got a bucket load of skills that I could only dream of, and it's kind of my job to to stay across that and keep leveling up. Um, yeah, I've, I've often thought that. I, I've, I've said to myself, I think I said to you guys earlier about the talent pool being shallow, which therefore means that I might be a B-grade broadcaster that managed to get to the top. But then I also look at the UFC production and I have to recognise that I probably work in the most complicated and challenging sports broadcast on television. There are no... I did a nine-hour live stint on Fight Island Nine hours of live broadcast, and that's unheard of, you know. Boxing, they tag people in for the main event, and they just do those fights. So we do it differently at the UFC. There are so many moving parts. You can't have a plan because you don't know if the fights are going to last 10 seconds or 15 minutes, 25 minutes, and you need to be prepared for everything in between. Football's 90 minutes with a break in the middle. Like, what more can go wrong? So it's a lot more straightforward and we don't have an off season. So I'm, so I'm now qualifying things because I have told myself yeah. before, if I was that good, then Sky Sports or BT Sport would be calling me up to do another sport. And I never have done. So I've gotten over that. I'm, I'm actually, I was never looking to be a, a football commentator. I'm not saying I wouldn't like to do it now. Now I have a set of skills, but why am I worried about all of these things when I'm doing the job that I love the UFC have renewed my contract a couple of times now. I work in different departments for the UFC as well because I'm here to be of service to mixed martial arts, and that's always been the plan. Service to mixed martial arts, tell the story. Keep it simple, and uh, and I just have to keep in that mindset. Uh, you, you say you can't plan for these events, and for the reasons you've pointed out, you, know, you don't know whether a fight's going to last the full 15 minutes or a 10-second KO. But you, I'm assuming you've got stuff in your back pocket that you have oh, to prepare sorry. for because you're like, 
as you say, what when I could just imagine everyone going, "There's no way that anyone's got any knockout power in this fight. This is going the distance." And then all of a sudden, you're like, "Oh yep. shit!" Now we need to improv for the next ten <laughs> minutes to keep us on schedule. You know, so how, how do you? Do, and, and with that said, do you also have to maybe like? prepare or think about stuff that you go oh that's really good i hope we get to do that and then a fight does go the distance and you have to go oh i didn't get to do that thing i really was hoping to do 100 percent, yeah so i say you can't plan that was probably the wrong terminology so we, we do and I, I i i take over 200 pieces of paper to a broadcast wow now we can't use all of that but they don't always they don't always go from one to two hundred we'll get a short fight and then all of a sudden we've got to fill, fill, fill. And then we'll get two, two long fights and then we're, we're cutting stuff out and throwing it away. Then we'll get another short fight. We've got to then go back into the trash can, pick up those cards again because we're recycling them, but in a different position within the broadcast. So it's very complicated. That job is largely done by the producers, however, but I do need to obviously be aware of it. Um, and my memory is not that good to know when I'm given our, our running order, our format, which is, you know, hundreds of items long, where every individual piece sits. But I do need to kind of know the, the subject matter of them. And, and yeah, I, I come up with, with phrases and words that, that I like to put into the broadcast. And particularly my piece is the camera. I, I love the English language and wordplay. And I'll, I sometimes sort of kick myself if I miss that that wonderful word that would have just made the difference in that 30 second piece that I had to try and, you know, deliver something informative and maybe in an entertaining way to give people a a better picture of what's going on. So there are all kinds of frustrations and you say some stupid shit when you've got a microphone in front of you for six or seven hours. (laughs) You know, I challenge anyone to do it. I've come out with some corkers. <clears throat> I can barely do this without saying something stupid. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, to be to be to, as someone that's done a small amount of of, of live TV, that that what you've just described sounds so stressful to me. I'm like, I am used to learning a script, knowing what I'm doing, hopefully getting a couple of takes. Or if it's live, you just like you know you got to kind of roll with it, like theater and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but nine hours of of that and picking stuff up and dropping it and then picking it up again and that sounds incredible it sounds like you're overqualified for bt sport and uh, <laughs> uh and all these football uh broadcasts to be honest mate but um we, we talk as well um a lot with the fighters about kind of mental health and and particularly for me something that i i, I can get quite frustrated with is is social media and we talk about um uh, commentating in general and my head goes to uh um uh, commentators for football who get absolutely pasted i remember chatting to danny murphy once and he was like you just have to just deal with it because i know that every football broadcast that's and most of them are trending as well all the time you know that like either steve mcmanaman or danny murphy or danny mills or uh, glenn hoddle or whatever they all trend. And the majority of when you flick through those trends is people saying quite horrible, negative stuff about that person. It's like Joe Bloggs, who's on his sofa, who's never kicked a ball professionally, is telling these ex-professionals that they don't know what they're talking about, it, which is just stupid, really. But what, what I, I don't see that so much with MMA. You may correct me on that. But what I feel like I have seen with MMA 
and I'm looking at you and I feel like you've got a lot to say about these people. But what, what I feel like I have seen with MMA is a lot of the hardcore fans seem to have very strong opinions on the commentators. And annoyingly, some of the MMA journalists seem to have very strong opinions on the commentators. So I wondered, A, have you had any negativity or have you spoke to anyone that you've worked with that's also had negativity? And has it affected you? And, and have you had to find a way of kind of dealing with it? It's the, it's the, it's the most challenging part of my job. Really? Yeah. And simple. Yeah, it really is. Uh, in many ways. Social media, I mean. Not, not, not mm. the feedback loop, but social media. And, and many things play into that. I'll give you one straight out the gate. I wish your mum would have swallowed. I mean, that's great. What? That's it. Was, <laughs> I mean, you know. What had you done wrong that I mean, night? I had to laugh in the end. So, <clears throat> I mean, this is, this, I, sadly, I could probably do a podcast on this, uh, on this one topic, but I think that's more about my personality type and I, and I surrender to that. I don't have the, the thickest skin in the world. But my, my very first experience was going from Cage Warriors to actually my first ever involvement with UFC was was with BT Sport. They'd invited me down to cover the UFC event. It was the first time in their new deal that they were going to be hosting UFC Manchester. And I didn't really know what I was getting myself in for. So I was invited down there to talk about the rules of the octagon. And then at the end of the night, I was going to give my opinion. I was going to be in the studio with Caroline Pierce, who was new to mixed martial arts, uh, and a, a younger broadcaster. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but when you're on a live broadcast for so many hours, like a news broadcaster, you've really got to be hot. And she she did a good job on the night, by the way. It, it's just very, very challenging. Anyway, I get there and, and all of a sudden, I'm not just doing these two little bits. They came to me during the walkouts, between rounds, after the opponents had their arm raised, and I'm like, the, and I knew that the fans wouldn't like it. I, ju- I just knew it because you're completely ripping up what the UFC product looked like and, and putting just an English voice on it. And again, it was just Caroline and I, you know. One, and the one thing I learned at that point was MMA and UFC are different. So I could have been, I've been in the MMA space for many years now and I've been working in all sorts of different regards but no one really knew who I was in the, with the UFC fans because they're not watching the grassroots stuff. So they're like, who the hell is that guy? I don't respect your opinion. How dare you speak? And, and they let me know about it. And, and Caroline as well. It was, and I just was not prepared for that. I, I opened up my phone. I came off air and they said, that was great, guys. Oh, that was brilliant. Really enjoyed it. I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Maybe I'll be in here. I might have a future doing some stuff with, with BT Sport, and I'd travelled down from from actually being at the event the day before in Manchester with the UFC team to be there. So I was making all of this effort to put myself in that position. Turned on my phone, and I was I was used to sort of forty notifications uh, when it was my birthday. Mostly my friends with multiple notes saying you're getting old now, you fuck. <laughs> um, and now it's like un- obscene stuff. Like, I, I was physically shaking, going, what, what, what have I done? I've blown it. What did I say that was so wrong? Oh, my God. 
And I never, I've never been one, someone who wanted to offend. Going back to like my, my childhood, where I was maybe a, a bit boastful or saying the wrong things, and it and it it didn't work for me. So this was tapping into some of that. And I, my wife, who was uh, head of marketing at MTV at the time, she's used to the social media space. And I just said, look, you, you're going to have to take my my Twitter account and my passwords. Oh my God, don't go through my DMs and. Just, just go through the notifications and clear them because I can't do this. I, I just, I'm not prepared for it. And it was a very like vicious learning curve for me. And but one thing that came out of it, there were a few guys out the UK MMA scene that stayed up all night, didn't go to bed, like fighting my case for me whilst I was a, a, a quivering mess back home in a dark corner of my house. And that meant so much to me. Yeah. A guy that comes, a guy called Jivan, who did that. I just can't believe that I'd never met the guy before and, and he would do that for me. So I learned very quickly that I was going to have to get around this. And I called the UFC because I thought I'd messed up with them. I hadn't been offered anything with them at this point, but we were talking. This was before I'd screen tested for them. And they actually said, we thought you did a good job. It was just the formats. Then the fans didn't like the format and you're kind of the victim of it. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So we got past that, but we still get it. You know, I say some stuff sometimes that people don't like. I feel like I'm now, I'm not the new guy anymore, but I'm also not the guy that's rammed down their throats all the time. So when you do do hear me alongside someone else, it's more of a fresh listen. So I get away with it a bit more. They're comfortable enough not to shoot me down, uh, but they also don't want to hear me that much that I'm there every week. So yeah, it's just a balance. And and you have to realise that a faceless person on Twitter is not your yardstick for your personal performance. Your producer who signs your cheque is the guy you've got to impress. And probably more than that, Dana White, who scares the living daylights out of me. <laughs> so, you know, I, I have to look in that direction uh, because they understand the broadcast. Like <clears throat> you guys who understand broadcasting probably didn't know some of the, uh, the the smaller details that I'd explain. So you now might have a sympathetic ear next time you hear us, any of us, like John, uh, Brendan, or myself, if you hear us stutter. Sometimes you might hear periods where we're going quiet, but that's because we're inviting in an international audience. They've told us to lay out at that point yep. so we don't tread across the brakes. And happened to Paul Felder, actually, when he was interviewing Ty Tuavasa the other yes. day. Who, yeah. Ty, Ty had said that his... Um, that a friend of his had passed away. And I and I knew what was going on because I'm privy to that information. In his ear, whilst Ty would have been recounting that story, Paul would have someone saying, okay, Paul, we've got internationals coming back in and counting down in five, four. And he's nodding, probably nodding to the count, but also to Ty, it comes in at the wrong time. He's got to welcome back an audience because they've just been 
absent for three minutes, so much to deal with. And then Paul's not as used to that count as what I am. I, I lead the dance. So I throw to them. They get the lead from me, not the producers so much. So it's, it's very difficult, but you just got to get over it. We have a job to do. Um, I've spoken to a performance coach before, not, not just about that, but to just be better at what I do. And it was an area that, that came up and we did have to look at that and why it would have, why it would have these effects. And essentially you, you just have to, you just have to reframe it and just, you know, look at things differently, find your feedback in the more appropriate places and press on. You, you spoke about working with Paul and you work with some fantastic kind of, uh, particularly like ex fighters and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Your your role as as the play by play commentator is to kind of speak about what's going on in front of you and then throw over to the color commentators, so the Paul Felders, the DCs, the Joe Rogans, etc., to kind of give us the audience more detail about about that. Is is that correct? I'm the what and they're the why. Yes. Yeah. Great. But. But I have to say, and the UFC, I, ha- I think they don't like me talking about this because I, I have a sort of different view of how it's historically been done. And it's a, it's a result of the sport being so young. <clears throat> so, for example, in football, uh, like Ian Dark, if it's, a, if it's a throw-in, a penalty, a short pass, a long ball, you know, chest to control, takes it on the knee, dummies step over to pass, it's all him. Ball goes out of play the analyst comes in. But in mixed martial arts, we we really have taken on, or certainly with the UFC, Mike Goldberg and Joe Rogan had this kind of dynamic where Mike wasn't very technical. A fantastic broadcaster, but he didn't really know an omoplata from a Kimura. So for me, though, as someone who trains in the sport, but I still don't know everything. I, I make that very clear and I get it wrong, but I like to try because that's the only way you can get better. There's no difference for me, whether it's a jab or an advanced to side control or a, or an underhook overhook to an outside trip. It's still a what? Yeah. Whereas I think the UFC fans and the broadcast has been set up where Joe just takes all of that. And Mike does more of the promotional work and the atmospheric stuff. But that's not really how sports commentating has been done across all the other sports. I'm not necessarily saying that's the right way to do it. We can always do it differently. So I like to, I do probably tread more in line with that, where if I was to work with Joe Rogan, I think you'd be quite surprised at the amount that I would want to speak because I'm like, Joe, don't do that bit. Like I can do that bit. I want you to now say why it did or didn't work or why that was the decision-making process. So I want to walk you deeper as a fan and educate to that next level. So that's what I try and do, but that's why it's also important for me to carry on training so that I develop that vocabulary. You you mentioned that the sport's still young. I mean, as we start to sort of wrap this up now, just lastly, I'd like to ask you, what would you say has been the most interesting and positive changes you've seen from the evolution of the last sort of 10 years of, of, of MMA, you know, or, um, or UFC. Yeah. I think the unified rules was big. That was maybe the turn of the century that they brought that in. So that now means that people, I mean, it's not entirely true, but because there are different iterations still, but you'd be surprised 
through the amateur to, well, they did have a semi-pro thing back in the day as well, how many different rule sets there were and how that conf- how, how confusing that is for a fighter. We've seen it recently with people not understanding the Demetrius Johnson situation. Well, 1FC have like more clo- closer to the old pride rules where you can kick when a, a fighter is downed. So with that, there's still a lack of education and understanding um, around those things, but but that was a very big part. The drug testing has made the playing field very, very different as well. So that's something that's that's been key. And, and then I'd like to say, like, this is a bit more geeky, but the establishment of federations internationally so that we have an amateur program that's in development to help these fighters have a more structured way of becoming a professional fighter and having like an Olympic setup so that they can feel like they're being competitive, not just on the undercard of pro fighters and always thinking like that's what they've got to do next, but competing against the very best from around the world against, you know, boys and girls, men and women who are at their level at the same time. So they're, they're the, the three that, that come to mind immediately. And what about the, the sort of the evolution of the, the the UFC superstar as well? I mean, going back sort of maybe 10 years and further, there was people that MMA fans loved, but now we're seeing with McGregor, with Ronda, and, and now with Stylebender and, 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 and so on, we're seeing superstars coming through. And, and, and obviously that's opening... I mean, just personally, the amount of people I know that now watch UFC because of Conor McGregor. Like, I mean, how have you sort of seen that side of things in, in regards to sort of fans and the growth of the sport? Yeah, well, the UFC did a very good job of <clears throat> aligning themselves with the digital age. So if you were a, a, an MMA fan back in the day, like in the 90s and in the early noughties, you'd have to be pretty au fait with technology to do... I forgot what they're called now, but stream content, essentially, torrents and things of that nature. Be invited into these groups so that you could see what that Pride event looked like or that UFC fight because it wasn't like hitting our screens <clears throat> and we didn't want to wait for the VHS. So they embraced that. They've embraced social media to, to an extent that we've grown with that. And these were some conversations I was having recently as well around media training athletes the UFC have never done that they've allowed the athletes the fighters to have their own voice and that's been good and bad you know you've got guys like Mike Perry right now where you think god like he sounds like he's going off the rails but then you've also got guys like Darren Till who you know if he had Arsenal Football Club around him and he was an Arsenal player there's no way he would be able to say what he does but then we wouldn't know what he was like yeah and we'd be missing out on that comedy and the true raw nature of his personality. So the UFC have done a, a very good job of, of thinking ahead with all of those things. And they've grown with that social media age and, and opened up and allowed people in with technology and given the access. But it's also indicative of how small the sport is that you guys could find your nearest gym, which... Like it, it, I, I recognise some of the accents. Let's say you're in South London and, and Nathaniel Wood trains around those. You could get on the mat with Nathaniel Wood. There's no way as an Arsenal fan I could just go kick a ball about with Hector Bellerin. So we still have that proximity where where the fans are reachable, touchable, and we can 
slide into their DMs and we we might, you know, be able to connect with them as well. So it's, I think it's a bit of a, a, a state of the times, as well as some obviously very clever plays by the UFC as well. John, John. It's been an absolute... Oh, sorry, well, Blake. no, I, I wanted to ask you just one last question, John, and it's, it's, I think, the most important question you're going to be asked today is during these really long broadcasts, when the hell do you go to the toilet, mate? Because as someone, before I go on stage, <laughs> I wee about 10 times in 10 minutes. I'm a nervous wreck. How on earth? Where, like, have you got a bottle under there? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I, uh, I have a hose attachment. Yeah, no, I... Um... <laughs> I, I've become kind of notorious to the uh, to the MMA media now, and it's quite funny in uh, in Fight Island because, of course, we're in this bubble. And I chose the toilets that went through the media tent. I have the bladder of a mouse, so I will often I'll probably go five times during a broadcast, but I sprint. I literally sprint to the toilet, and one day I'm going to stack it. Because as as you guys all know, like there's there's cables yeah. everywhere. It's dark, and I don't see well in the dark. So I'm 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 gonna go over. And I I remember I remember being in Brazil. I got into the toilet, and I went to turn like cut a right angle, and I just slid through. If I hadn't have found the wall, I would have gone ass over tits. But I bounced like a pinball <laughs> off of each side of the cubicle. And then um, was able to do a wee. And, and another time, I actually ended up having to go during the main event at UFC Dublin. It was Paddy Houlihan that was fighting. And uh, <laughs> Dan and I were younger broadcasters then. But but I, I get to the toilet and I was, I was bursting to go. And I knew that we had to do like a piece of the camera after the fights. But my trousers were fully undone. The zipper was down. Like I was, I was bulging like I was, I was at least three or four months pregnant. So I'm in the toilet and I just couldn't stop pissing. I rearranged the place, did a little turning up, some cleaning, but I had my earpiece in and I could hear Dan doing all the commentary. And it sounded like a a, a, um, a horse racing broadcast. Do you know what I mean? It was so funny. And I got back to the desk and I was so relieved that I could finally do my tailored trousers back up and and stand in front of that camera when the broadcast was done a lot more comfortably and not be a meme the next day with a growing wet patch down my grey yeah. suit. <laughs> oh, mate. Um, well, thank you so much for your time today, John. Um, but before you go, what was the address again um, for the charity? At keepingthelightson.net. Wonderful. John, honestly, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real privilege. No, no, privilege is, and pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, good luck. It's great to see guys like yourselves, the podcasting space and, and the acting space coming over and, and enjoying mixed martial arts as much as we do. You guys will bring new eyes and ears to our sport. So it's great to see how we're all developing and, and enjoying this, this wonderful art that, that we so, so much enjoyed watching. And we've got early fights. I know. Yeah. That's so exciting. <laughs> this, this will be going out well after today. So, but yeah, we had, we had early fights. Wasn't that we good? Back fights. when we had those early fights. Oh. We would have been looking so chipper oh. if we were doing this after because we'd have stayed up till the small hours. So yeah. no, good. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It's been such a pleasure Wonderful. chatting with you, mate. Thanks so much. Nice, bro. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much. Cheers. John Gooden, what an absolute gentleman. He was brilliant. I loved hearing about, you know, when he needed to go to the toilet, you know. 
I'm a, a, a guy with essential a, to know that. It's essential, essential. to. It is essential to know that. You know, as someone else that has a, a bladder the size of you know a mouse's bladder or whatever it was that he says. I needed to know that. I, I get nervous for, for people. I'm like, God, are they going to get to the loo in time? Are we going to see that meme of him having like darker wet patch on his trousers? I don't, I don't want that for you, John. You know, you're a, you're a good guy. I like you. I don't, I don't need that for you. And also, it's, you know, uh, it, it's, it's just great to hear also a story of someone that's that's backed themselves. Someone that's gone, I'm going to take a pay cut. Uh, from this job like in the city or, or, or working electrician and then just apply myself and do a job that I know I'll just really love to do even though I'm earning slightly less money to begin with uh, and he's backed himself and it's worked out in the end and I'm hoping and assuming he's earning far more money than he was uh, back then and it's, it's all worked out well for him which is a lovely story you know absolutely that, that confidence and that you know by his own definition you know he's ambitious you know the fact that that transferred from you know working in the city to then even on such you know small sh- you know smaller shows that weren't even you know getting television coverage or or, or or available on the internet the fact that he was in preparation for that you know and he also said obviously just sitting there recording it into a dictaphone so it could be like added over the top of a a camcorder that was like stuck to the top of the octagon which I thought was incredible to hear that the lengths he went to 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 prepare for that went as far as going to them local gyms and and training with some of the fighters to, to chat to them afterwards and get that backstory I think it's that kind of devotion and drive and attention to, to detail and prep that's put him where it's put him. Absolutely, absolutely. He's clearly very, very committed to it. He's an incredibly hard worker. And they're the people you, you just kind of go, yeah, you deserve all the success that you've had. So long may that continue. And hopefully he's uh, commentating for the UFC for, for a long time. Absolutely. And long may this podcast continue as well. Well, we definitely will be back next time. And so to ensure that you don't miss out on any episodes, the best thing you can do is subscribe. Uh, it really does help the podcast. So if you just go over to whatever platform you listen to, subscribe on there, and then you haven't got to go searching for the next episode because Blake and I are really lucky. We've got some great guests coming your way, uh, so you don't want to miss any of them. So if you subscribe each week, it just pop up on your listening device. You don't need to even worry about it. Um, and we're on all the social media platforms, Blake. We are. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. The MMA Fan Podcast. Uh, check us out there. We're not only talking about our interviews and what's coming up on the show but also we're trying to do our bit to get you some uh, latest MMA news as well so uh, if you want to keep abreast of all things MMA give us a follow and we'll try and get all the kind of latest breaking uh, fight developments uh, you know uh, all of that stuff over to you ASAP perfect and we'll be back next time laters bye bye